Broadcasting live from Hutchinson, Kansas. Well, I'm sitting here with a linguist. I had a linguist. no idea. <laughs> I, love I didn't that. know you were a term, but I didn't know that you were a wordsmith. <laughs> Call Jiggy right now. 267-22-Jiggy. Hey, Jiggy, what's happening? <laughs> David Busso. Jiggy Good day, everybody. There we are. I think I've got IQ Al Rizzoli with us today, and uh, Don Mazzella and Dan Perkins are getting to their chairs. Uh, (laughs) There's Dan. There's Dan. Good afternoon, sir. (laughs) Good afternoon, gentlemen. And uh, we We have have IQ with us today, huh? Yes, we have IQ with us. IQ Al Rizzoli, Dan Perkins. I have one. You hear me? Don uh, yes, Zell. Uh, Jim, I just have one other question. Yes, what's going on? Are we going to talk to the rest of the state of Kansas at the same time here, or just have one guest? We're, we're just, uh, I, I think we've just got the one one guest. Um, Jess Money was supposed to join us. He has yet to call in, so until he calls in, we are going to go ahead and just uh, leave it open for you guys. First of all, IQ, um, give us uh, your, your big story of the week, and then we'll have Dan and Don jump in while I uh, try to connect here with Jess Money. IQ. Okay, IQ, it's your turn. Jump in there, IQ. Okay, no problem. I've got a lot of items to discuss, starting with D.H. Secretary Jeff Johnson. He addressed ISNA, the Islamic uh, Society of North America, yes. a Muslim group linked to Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood. But, of course, Americans are very safe because their leaders tell them there is no terrorism in Islam. And hence, it must be a fact, irrespective of reality. Ladies and gentlemen, dear Americans, for as long as you, we, the people, remain silent vis-à-vis the most incompetent leaders in the security apparatus of the USA, then do not complain when the next events of mass murder by Muslims occur. Your silence, ladies and gentlemen, is deafening. Another item. No one with a minimum of intelligence, should have been surprised that Muslim traitor-in-chief in the White House called Obama supported Colin Kaepernick's refusal to stand during the national anthem. Yes. Not a single news media or political personality pointed out the obvious, that no one is depriving Colin of his right to be the jackass that he is. <laughs> but most important and more important, Both Obama and Colin are half-breed mulattoes who were raised by racist whites to give them the incredible chance to rise to heights 99% of black Americans, or blacks for that matter, can only dream of. Both Obama and Colin are despicable ingrates who turned against the very whites who saved them from penury. Both Obama and Colin are Muslims, Hence are by definition traitors to both the American people and the U.S. Constitution. As Muslims, their hypocrisy, mendacity, and duplicity know no bounds as demonstrated by their actions and speech. By the way, the only leader in the world who has had the backbone to call a spade a spade, I mean Obama, is the colorful president of the Philippines. I agree totally with his method of attempting to eradicate drug pushers and cartels. 
with deadly effect and minimum cost. He is absolutely correct about his anger regarding being lectured about human rights since these mass murderers are not entitled to any. Back to you, sir. There's a lot there, <laughs> Dan. Okay, uh, yes, what, 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 what do you what do you want to what do you want to tackle first? Uh, well, I want to say th- thank you to IQ for for his uh, commentary. It was uh, very thought provoking and interesting. Um, I have a couple of things. One is breaking news. Um, the State Department announced this afternoon that, in fact. We did not send $400 million in ransom for the hostages to Iran. We sent $1.7 billion. Jesus. $1.7 billion. So the President of the United States stood on the podium and lied to us about paying ransom, and he lied to us about the amount. It wasn't $400 million, It was $1.7 billion. Number two for me is very, very disturbing. Drudge reported today that the University of California of Los Angeles, the University of California at Fullerton, and the University of Connecticut have all announced that they are going to offer segregated housing for blacks. Wow. And I'm saying for 50 years, we had Dr. Martin Luther King lead marches all over this country to eliminate segregation in in housing, in hotels, in restaurants, in water fountains, in buses. And now we have education institutions of higher learning who are going to offer blacks segregated housing. What was the last 50 years about? What was the civil rights movement about if colleges are going to start segregating blacks? And as my friend Don said when I told him this story, does that mean that the Asians and the Hispanics are going to want to have their own housing? Yes. Are the Muslims going to want to have their own housing? Oh, they definitely will want their own housing. (laughs) So... The idea that we, we paid $1.7 billion and the administration lied to us that it was $400 million, um, I, I just found that appalling. But the most, and, and after Mr. Trump's visit to the black church in, in Detroit over the weekend, um, he basically reached out to the black community in a very serious way. And and I would say, based on what I saw on television, they accepted him with open arms. Um, and I got to believe that that's causing problems for two groups of people, Jim. First, for the Democratic Party, who is dependent upon the blacks to win their elections, and number two, the down ballot Republicans, because if the if the head of the ticket is making inroads and making reaching out to to inner cities, do the other Republicans down the ballot have to do the same thing, and are they willing to? That's on my agenda today. Dan, yes. should not have to be a surprise that California Institutes of Education are so depraved 
Yeah, but we're we're also talking about the University of Connecticut, I yeah. which is in yeah. In, but I mean, the University of Connecticut nothing compared to the ones in California. The ones in California are institutions of extremely high learning. The so is UConn. Sorry. So is UConn. Be careful there, IQ. Be careful. Be careful there, uh, I, I, IQ. I mean, you have the whole state of Connecticut after your hide. Okay, I apologize to the state of Connecticut. I, and I, but I really IQ, shouldn't I, apologize because if they are allowing segregation, then they don't deserve to be institution of education. But they're not. They should IQ, be deprived of any kind of support by the government. IQ, they're not allowing it. They're they're doing it. They are suggesting it. It's not allowing. They want to provide segregated housing for black people, and and I forgot the University of California at Berkeley. Um, they want to provide housing for black people in a segregated community. They want to bring back segregation. I understood that. A hundred percent I understood that. But these institutions should not be called institutions of education, and the government and people who are supporting them financially should withhold. That's simple. It's not complicated. These institutions cannot exist without financial help from the outside. They can't uh, exist. No question. They're all public in universities, except, and they get their most of their funding from the state. But they, a lot of people pay to pretty substantial tuitions. But, but my point, IQ, I guess, is what does it say about our country? It that, says how depraved things are. This is, well, this is not our country. I mean, these are a bunch of educators, most of whom live in, in a spe uh, isolated sphere. But I'd like to point out something to you. One of the reasons segregation stayed in northern cities um, is because w uh, in the 50s and the 60s, we tore down whole swaths of white n neighborhoods and built uh, public housing and then segregated blacks inside that housing to the extent that they became uh, black ghettos. And we're doing the same thing with education. We're creating black uh, education ghettos. And it's a shame, but but it's a part and parcel of what's happening in this world. But let me let me ask you a question, Don, now that you, you brought it up. Um, in the city of Detroit, Philadelphia, Baltimore, those cities, um, Milwaukee, haven't we already created a segregated school system within the inner cities? Aren't they already segregated? Because only black or predominantly only black people go there. So the public school, elementary and secondary school system in the inner cities is already a segregated system. We're just now taking it to higher institutions of higher learning. Well, uh, I think we're adding a little element to it. I think that element is we're not only making the schools uh, segregated, but the dormitories segregated, the uh, um, the interaction between people. Don't forget, you build a lifetime of uh, relationships and a lifetime of uh, during your college years. And, and if you, you only have... Go ahead. Somebody, Sorry, that was some, me. Somebody's getting a call okay. somewhere. Um, well, all right. um, I was looking if it was mine. <laughs> no, that's fine. But, well, that, but if you, no, have, go, if you go build ahead, up a lifetime of black 
friends and you segregate them and you perhaps see other people at classes. But you don't, uh, Dan, um, I, I was talking to a friend of mine after you brought this up, and he pointed out something that, that's already happening uh, in, in American colleges. <coughs> Groups are taking different courses. Blacks, the average black at the University of North Carolina, which is a very good school, and the average, uh, uh, this is the one that was given to me, and I don't know whether it's true or not, takes a totally different cu- curriculum than the average white at, at Carolina. And that in other colleges that happens uh, because uh, blacks tend to choose uh, courses more aligned and uh, instructors who are black or of, minor- uh, of color, uh, and whites tend not to. It, it, she said. He, she said to me that this is a trend that's been going on for ten years, and which is new to me. So I bring that out at this point. Okay. Now we, we didn't well, get a chance to hear what your hot topics were for the real, day. Real quick, but before before we bring everybody into the into the mix here, we've got Dan Perkins with us today from the Hill dot com. We also have Don Mazzella from SB Digest. We have IQ Alrazoli with us today, our our good friend. And uh, joining us on the telephone is Jess Money. He is an author. But uh, before I before I uh, get Jess in here, Don, what was your hot topics for the day? Well, my hot topic was the fact that uh, Hillary threw the kitchen sink at uh, Donald Trump in August, and he's still standing. And what's more, it looks as if he's leading. If you believe the CNN poll and other polls that are about to come out in the next couple of days, well, uh, that that now I'll let you go to get to our uh, guest. <laughs> hey, that works. <laughs> First of all, Jess, welcome to the broadcast. How are you, sir? I'm pretty good. How are you guys? Now, what what do you guys think of? Uh, I'll start with Jess. What what do you think of Don's uh, assessment there of, uh, of of Hillary and she's been throwing all the uh, Everything she can at Trump, but it's just not working. Give us your view on this. Well, uh, there's an axiom among a lot of astute political observers that the general public really doesn't start paying attention to the campaign until after Labor Day. Um, And I think it's been demonstrated that Hillary spent enormous amounts of money um, in in the 8 to 10 battleground states Trump has spent virtually nothing, and um, if she hasn't buried him, she's in deep trouble. Um, I'm also of the opinion that the drip, drip, drip on the Clinton Foundation and the emails um, is going to have its cumulative effect, and I'm one of those people who thinks that Trump is going to slaughter Hillary in the debates because she's very sensitive, she's very fragile, and Bernie was nice to her in the debates, but she's going to be up against a junkyard dog. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, you, you jump over the fence into the, into the junkyard to steal something, you throw a stake to the junkyard dog, the junkyard dog looks at it and says, hmm, looks good, I'll have that later. <laughs> you know, Jim, uh, following up on our guest, um, yeah. uh, I wrote a piece uh, for, I think, the Daily Caller, or uh, the Surge, I'm not sure which, but where I said, as Don pointed out, 
if it, that when she came out of the Democratic convention, she told she told people that she was going to concentrate the month of August on attacking the credibility and the ability of Donald Trump to be president. She wasn't going to talk about issues, which is the same strategy that Bill used against Bush 41 and and beat him. And while I think that your your guest may be partially right that a lot of people don't pay attention to the election until after Labor Day, uh, he was successful, Bill was successful in destroying George W. by Labor Day. Uh, and so I, I, I postulated, I said, well, maybe... If, if Trump can survive the onslaught and he's close to her tide or even possibly a little bit ahead going through August into Labor Day, he has a great chance to win. The latest number that I've heard, Jim, is she spent in those battleground states that your guests mentioned over a hundred million dollars in advertising. And what did she get? As Don said, she threw the kitchen sink at him and she didn't put him away. So I think your guest is right. I, I've said all along. The question is, who's going to show up for the debate? And I, I, I'd be interested to know what your guest thinks about when we had um, John McCain running against Obama in his first term, McCain absolutely bought the Democratic playbook hook, line, and sinker, and that is Republicans are not permitted to attack the Democratic nominee. And he didn't. In fact, he put out a directive to his entire campaign stack. There will be no no attacks on Barack Obama. Then when Mitt Romney got the nomination, um, everybody was wondering when they were going to see Romney. And the Romney that we saw during the Republican primaries this year was the Romney that everybody hoped they were going to see in the presidential debates. And he again refused to attack the Democratic nominee, in this case the sitting president. I'm hopeful, but I'm I'm a little nervous that Mr. Trump walks into the into the presidential debate and gets Democratic disease and gives Hillary a a, a free ride. <laughs> Jess, what 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 do you think about this? And then we'll go back to IQ and get his thoughts on it. Well, um, you know, there's a certain amount of validity there, but let's face it. Um, Ross Perot had as much to do with Bill Clinton getting elected the first time and even the second as as anything, any other factor. But um, I think Trump has proven during the Republican primary that he's a different breed of cat. And um, he's not by nature a politician. His nature is a, is a cutthroat businessman in you know, between commercial development, residential development, and casinos, in all of those yep. fields, you're dealing with tough adversaries, and you win by being tougher than they are. And I think he's going to let loose on her, not personally, but with ammunition. He's got plenty of ammunition. I don't know if you guys noticed it today. There's a big controversy, Trump University. Well, Bill Clinton got paid $18 million to be the honorary chancellor of the Laureate College System, and one of their biggest colleges today, ITT Technical Institute, just went belly up 
8,000 people out of work, and it's being investigated for fraud by the SEC, Holy the smokes. Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and the Massachusetts Attorney General. Can I jump in on this point that you just made right there and say that um, that's one of the uh, most egregious acts of the, the Obama administration? Because what what it's trying to do, and it has in effect done, it's almost destroyed the technical uh, school system in the United States and put hundreds of thousands because it's attacked all of these schools. And after they close or after they're attacked, if you've been reading this series uh, from the uh, Wall Street Journal, all of a sudden uh, Obama and Clinton... Uh, representatives scoop in and take them out, uh, take them over for a song. It's being done. This is the latest one to do it. And in the case of the ITT, it's been for uh, almost 30 years one of the best schools for no. technical training going. I think it's an egregious act. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just felt you're reading the act wrong. Um, uh, yes, uh, uh, Clinton uh, is chairman. But that that was uh, in the hopes of saving itself when they realized that they were going to be the target of Obama. Because you can rest assured that some of his uh, cohorts are going to rush in and take up the remnants of it. Yeah, well, that may be true, but that doesn't change the fact that Trump is going to throw that right back at Hillary. And you know as well as I do in a debate, you have to have short, concise answers that that resonate as authentic they may not be but they need to resonate with viewers as authentic and i think hillary's going to have a hell of a problem with that are you saying are you saying that you think hillary might lie uh only if she's breathing (laughs) only if she's breathing (laughs) okay Okay. Her lips don't have to be moving. She just has to be breathing. You know, in t- in today's uh, 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 Bergen Record, which is not a pro-Hillary, uh, which is a pro-Hillary paper, there was a, a cartoon of of her in bed uh, and a faucet and the headline was dripping, and it said, the drip, drip, drip of emails. And I think that that's something that we should all keep in mind because, uh, because that's where it's going to... Um, going to really hurt her. What do you think? Well, I, uh, I said, go ahead. You talking to me? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Answer the question. Yeah, um, I think that's that's true, and I think there there's a high possibility that the more emails that are linked, the more tie-ins are going to be discovered between the Clinton Foundation and that's actions taken by Hillary when she was. Secretary of State, the sale of public office for for private gain, and so I think the two are going to somewhat uh, reinforce uh, each other. And I just want to say for listeners out there, if it sounds like I'm very anti-Hillary, I am. <laughs> but I've been. Well, you'll get along long, great with us. Well, I, <laughs> I'm a lifelong registered Democrat, and I can't. <laughs> Dan, <laughs> I, she is. That is that 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 is amazing. IQ. What 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 do you think about the fact that he's a registered Democrat? He's a lifelong <laughs> 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 Republican. Well, 
registered Democrat, and he can't stand Hillary. James, this is a breath of fresh air, mm -hmm. considering the previous two speakers that I wanted to kill through the, through the <laughs> Skype. <laughs> yes. Our, our, uh, Jess, our, 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 our last two... Uh, guests that we've had on this show the last couple of weeks. One was a Hillary Clinton supporter uh, out of California. He he worked for Hillary, and and Don and IQ were were, were going to get his address and go beat him over the head like like they used to do in the in the forties. They were going to go take his kneecaps if you know what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> They're starting to sound like characters in my book. <laughs> Maybe they we are. Look, I am not anti-Democrat. I'm not anti-Republican. I'm not anti-Clinton. I'm the outsider. Yes. I, I look at it as objectively as humanly possible because I am not a registered voter in anything. Hillary Clinton is a pathological liar. She is the third term of Obama. Same garbage. Absolutely the same garbage. I look at Trump as a Brexit of Europe. He Great. went Brexit. That's to leave the European Union. He wants to leave the political status of the United States of America that has been going on for 60 to 70 years. Yes. He went against 16 other seasoned people and obliterated them. They have called him every name under the sun. They have tried to destroy him morally, spiritually, intellectually, and still standing. Why? Because he is resonating with a lot of millions of Americans. They believe him. I believe him. With all his faults, everything he is attempting to do is to make America great. I agree with him 100%. Why? Look, even... A dictator in the Philippines is calling Obama the son of a whore. Has you ever heard anybody say that about any president of the United States of America under any circumstances? The answer is no. But why Obama? Because he is useless. He has no respect. Nobody respects him. I swear, nobody. I listen to the Arabic news. That's my language. I read the Arabic newspapers, the Islamic news, Islamic newspapers. Nobody has any respect for America only because of Obama. It's not because they don't respect America, they don't respect Obama. But you know, IQ, the Chinese didn't roll out the red carpet or the stairway. He had to come out of the body of the belly of the plane to get on <laughs> Chinese soil. And there was, no, there was nobody from the official Chinese government who met the president at the airport. Uh, I, I, Jim, I want to ask IQ a question, then I want to ask our guest a question. Yes. Let me ahead. ask are you real quick, and then uh, what I want to ask the guest is I'd like him to spend a little bit of time telling us and our listeners about his book. Yes. But IQ, let me ask you this question. Based on who you know and what you know, would you expect another terrorist attack in the United States before the election? God forbid it happens, but yes. But it's not only one terrorist attack. It's not going to be, to be one at a time. Not one-offs. The, the attacks are going to be all over Europe and in the United States of America. Look, these immigrants, so-called immigrants, are coming to America and in Europe. They are undocumented. ISIS repeatedly said, and they have proven it, because every single attack has been inspired by so-called ISIS. 
Ladies and gentlemen, wake up. You don't need to be a follower of ISIS to commit mass murder. All you have to be is a Muslim who believes in Islam and Sharia. That's all you have to do. Right. And uh, the guest, can you, Jim, have him tell us a little bit about his book? Yes. Jess, go ahead and give us a brief introduction on yourself and your book and everything. Okay, well, the book is titled Public Enemies, and it's about a guy who, if you want to boil it down to a simple movie logline, the man who starts the second American Revolution. It's about a guy who spent his entire life playing by the rules. He went to college, he got a degree, he enlisted, he fought in Vietnam, came home, got a job, raised a family, and he's been totally screwed by the system, and he decides after a personal tragedy that this is not the country that he learned about in civics class and he says to himself well how would we fix it he comes up with a list of constitutional amendments and decides that the best way for an average unknown guy to publicize those amendments is to start a campaign of targeted assassination against corrupt Mm. politicians CEOs, banksters and so forth and so on and um, he ends up sparking both a violent wing of revolution and a companion, uh, peaceful, nonviolent mass demonstration uh, wing, a little bit like the Irish Republican Army uh, with the provost and the Shine Fen. But um, that's what the book's about. And uh, I've gotten some great reviews on Amazon, better than I could have hoped for. And uh, I, uh, I got the idea coming home from a local city council meeting where, once again, the city fathers ignored the wishes of everyone in the audience and passed a project that none of the citizenry wanted. And I driving home and I think they're not afraid of anything. They're not afraid of being voted out of office. They're not afraid of the initiatives and referendums that we've used effectively against their plans and stuff. And then I thought, well, everybody's afraid of getting killed. And uh, you can't go around assassinating people in real life. But that's the great part of fiction. You can play the what-if question and you can create a world where you can get away with stuff that doesn't work in real life or is inappropriate for real life. So, Jim, let me ask him a question. The book ended up being a cross between... Do you think that there's a any kind of any kind of a covert action if you look at the number of people who've been associated with the Clintons over the last 30 years who mysteriously find themselves dead? Dead? <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you know... Anybody who thinks that big business and the high levels of politics don't assassinate people is also the person who thinks that that quarter under the pillow really came from the tooth fairy. (laughs) It doesn't come from the tooth fairy? I hate, I hate to break it to you. I know it's the first your parents ever What do I say to my grandchildren? Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, um, uh, I, I'd like to uh, once again. I refer back to Tacitus and the fall of the Roman Empire, 
and point out that assassination, once assassination became uh, part of the everyday world of uh, Roman politics from about uh, 70 B.C. onward uh, with the death of Julius Caesar, um, uh, the empire was, was doomed. And while uh, many of us would like to assassinate some of the people we meet in life, um, the breakdown of law and order will, in the, in the long run, uh, destroy us all. Don't you believe, Jeff? Yes. Well, yeah, that's that's um, that's true. But what you look at again, we're dealing with fiction, not real life. Um, but what you look at is the decline of law and order. Well. Did the assassinations cause the decline of law and order, or did the decline of traditional law and order, the immunity of the elite, lead to the violence in the assassinations? No, the French Revolution was somewhat the same way. They started lopping heads off, and they went way, way overboard, and factionalism developed and all that kind of stuff. But, you know... One of my analogies that I like to make, and people can find flaws with it if they want, is Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King was a dirty, rotten, commie, homosexual until the Black Panthers came along. Then, and, the, and Malcolm X and the rise of the Muslims. Then suddenly, by comparison, Martin Luther King was a statesmanlike individual that we can negotiate with. And um, as I've told people before, the history of, of nonviolent revolution is one of two things. Either it works because the rest of the world disapproves of what's going on to such an extent that the government has to finally give up, with classic case being the British giving up India. The other one is when the politicians look out there and see a million people marching in the street and they do a calculation, if we don't give these people what they want while they're waving protest signs, they're likely to come back with the pitchforks and the torches. Interesting. So uh, let me go back to our, yeah. our guest again and ask him another question. Yeah, go ahead, Dan. Let's suppose, for conversation's sake, that Mr. Trump is elected. What do you think happens to the country? Well, that's a little hard to predict. Uh, we're always told that actually winning the presidency changes people. I'm not so sure if that's still true or not. But I think a lot depends on what happens with Congress. If you get... If the GOP retains the House, the Democrats capture the Senate, and Trump gets the White House, I see a very hard path for anybody to do anything. Uh, I see it very hard for Congress to agree on legislation, even if they did, if Trump, Trump favored it, fine, but if he didn't, he vetoed it. Then you're looking at trying to get an override, a veto override in the Senate. Um, however, if Trump wins, the GOP retains the Senate, the GOP retains the House, 
then I think it's going to be much more specifically policy-oriented. There will be a little less obstructionism just for the sake of obstructing. And I also think that the Republican Party, which has been shaken tremendously by this whole Trump campaign, is going to go undergo further analysis. The first thing they're going to be doing is their pollsters and and campaign managers are going to be looking at the votes for Trump versus the votes for those individual representatives and, in some cases, senators in those same precincts and those same districts and so forth and so on. And there's going to be a lot of political calculus going on. Um, I also think that if Trump gets elected because of the executive power of the presidency and the so many things the president can do without congressional approval, that uh, that clanking, creaking sound you hear is going to be a lot of rice bowls being broken around Washington. There's going to be a lot of people who have been used to effectively wielding influence who are going to find themselves on the outside looking in. Can I ask you a question? Can you tell us a little bit about your background? You're um, amazingly erudite, but I know nothing about you. Well, um, I grew up in Southern California. I went to Whittier College with a major in poli-sci and a minor in econ. Um, And I've had uh, several incarnations of my life. I was involved in pro sports. I was involved in the movie industry. Uh, and, uh, you know, mom was a school teacher, so that gave me a running start. But, um, you know, I, when I said I'm a lifelong Democrat, I actually had my parents drive me down to JFK's campaign headquarters on Wilshire Boulevard in Los Angeles in 1960 on the weekends, and I swept the floor and ran to the deli for lunch and wore out my fingers and my tongue stuffing campaign literature in envelopes because that was back in the day before you had self-mailers. So I go back a a long, long, long way and um, I don't hold myself out as any genius. In fact, one of the things that always amazes me when I talk to neighbors and new people I meet and stuff is how so many Americans have a good gut feel for what's going on. They may lack a little specific information, but they're not nearly as dumb as the people in Washington or um, uh, at the New York Times would have us believe. Dan, can I just go one No problem. Um, It's interesting, you you went to Whittier College, which has a famous alumnus. Um, Richard. um, It's just interesting, uh, your your background. I'm referring to Richard Nixon. Yeah, well, it's funny. Nixon went there, and of course the school and the city are so proud of Richard Nixon. At the time I was there, the political science department was full of a bunch of flaming leftist liberals. How they got hired, I don't know. But one of them actually regaled us with his tales of 
standing on the hotel balcony and throwing hotel ashray, ashtrays at the police when the cops were rioting against the protesters. So, you know, just, just because Richard went there... <laughs> No, uh, it's just interesting. Uh, uh, Dan, I'm finished. Thank you. Yeah. IQ, can I ask you a question? Sure. With pleasure. Go ahead. Okay. Um, one of the things that Mr. Trump is now talking about is that if we're going to go over and we're going to try and fight um, ISIS on the ground, that we should take the oil. <laughs> How? If we if we take the oil and 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 people, I've seen estimates that ISIS is making between one and two million dollars a day on the sale of oil. If you take away the oil from ISIS, how does that impact them? Well, first of all, the moment you were taking the oil, ISIS doesn't exist anymore. You know, it is the most remarkable thing we discuss ISIS as if it's an enormous entity. It is a zero entity. They have no anti-aircraft missiles. They have no tanks. They should have been obliterated two years ago. <laughs> United States of America destroyed Nazi Germany, destroyed imperialist Japan, destroyed the Soviet Union, all of them in no time, and ISIS is still existing. The only reason it is existing is no boots on the ground. You cannot destroy an enemy only by air short of nuclear weapons. Forget it. You need boots on the ground. The Americans can lead and others must follow. America should not do it again anymore by itself. Russians will join. The Chinese will join. The Japanese will join. They all are under threat of Islam. If you don't put boots on the ground, forget about the oil, forget about everything. You won't get anything. But I don't take my word for it. Wait and see. But but let me follow that just real quick. Um, the guy in Orlando who killed the forty nine people, or the people out in Burlingame, California, or the people in Memphis, these these one off lone wolf as they're called, and I don't believe that. That element and what's going on in Europe, in Nice and and, and Brussels and Paris and and Germany and uh, and France. Um, those, those aren't going to go away, are they? No, but we can take care of them. It's very interesting. Everybody says they call them lone, lone wolf. They are not lone wolf. These people are Muslims. Every single Muslim on the planet is a potential mass murderer. Potential. That means the minute he starts believing that he's not Muslim enough, he starts killing people. Mm -hmm. But of course we can take care of them. We stop them from coming in. We close every single mosque. We close every single madrasa. Why? Because in mosques and madrasas are the breeding grounds of hate against America and Europe. Anybody can... I, I would dare any imam, any Muslim to debate with this subject and win. I dare them. I've been daring them for 12 years. I haven't had anybody yet. But the but the but the situation is that uh, one of the ways that they have power in in Europe and and now in the United States, they have these enclaves, these no go zones, and and as a result of the 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 police and the fire, they don't go there. They're 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 
in, in the case of France and Germany and, and Spain and Italy and Portugal, they're subdividing the country into most small Muslim states by creating these no-go zones. I'm not convinced that the Europeans will abandon their political correctness philosophy and go in and attack and destroy those as you suggested. Correct. Then they have to commit suicide. I will do what the Philippine president is doing. I will surround any of these no-go areas. I will give them exactly three minutes. One bullet comes from any building, I will destroy the whole building, whoever is in it. I know it sounds draconian, but we are facing an enemy who is within our state, who is a guest in our country, who is willing to destroy us. Sorry, forget about the human rights. Forget about the law and order. I will destroy everybody who goes against the state, especially a foreigner. Look, in Europe, they had Jews, they had Poles. Take England, for example. They had from every nationality you can possibly imagine. They all lived in harmony. All of them lived in harmony. The only singularity which does not live in harmony are Muslims. So let's call a spade a spade. Islam and every Muslim, by definition, by the Quran, by Sharia, is the enemy of every human being on the planet who is not a Muslim. Try to prove me wrong, please. One more, one more question for IQ. There's been a lot of discussion recently by Mr. Trump about creating safe zones in Syria. You think that's possible? No. No. Syria, look what we have in Syria. You have the Russians, you have the Turks, you have the Arabs, you have the Sunnis, you have the Shia, you have the Alawites, you have Hezbollah, you have Israel. You have, I mean, forget it. But Donald Trump, in general, his attitude towards Islam is correct. You must stop importation of Muslims. You must check all the Muslims that you have. You must regulate the Imams in the United States of America. They are going to have, these things are happening. By the way, Angela Merkel very reluctantly admits that her party lost a few days ago because the German people do not understand how wrong they are regarding her welcome of Islamic invasions. By the way, Hitler's last order to his followers was the complete destruction of every German city because he accused the German people from, for letting him down by losing the war. Angela Merkel and Hitler are megalomaniacs, hence utterly irrational, self-centered narcissists. We have in Obama exactly the same. Not the same level as Hitler, but he's a narcissist. He never makes a mistake. Does he ever admit that he made a mistake? 1.7 billion dollars in ransom? Why? America needs it. Americans need it. Why did he give it to the Khomeini regime? To make more nuclear weapons? And they are, by the way, they are. They're way ahead than you can possibly imagine. Way ahead. IQ, I can't answer that question. I, I, I'm amazed that, that the State Department would admit today to the Congress and the administration would concur in announcing to the Congress that they actually sent $1.7 billion. Because somebody, because somebody was going to leak it. Somebody had come up with data. Uh, what All they did was just kill somebody's scoop. Um, 
Um, but I, uh, could I go just ask uh, one into this? Uh, here in, in today's Wall Street Journal, yes. it says that 100 military uh, officers uh, um, uh, voiced their ex-military voiced yeah, their support for Donald um, uh, for Donald Trump. What, uh, what do you think that means? And I, I'd like to ask our, our guest, because you've been very patient, if he, th- uh, if he wants to say anything about that. Well, I'd like to address that and some comments that have just, were just made. Um, yeah. There, there's two schools of thought on whether former military people should come out and get involved in politics. Um, I view them as Americans with their right to free speech and their right to, to um, participate in the political process, and they bring a certain perspective, which you may or may not disagree with. They also, in many cases, bring a certain expertise. One of the biggest critics of both Bush and Obama administration policies in the Middle East is Andrew uh, Basevich, who teaches at Boston College or Boston University, and you know he's a retired Colonel West Point graduate, and his son was actually killed. His son was an officer serving in Iraq, um, and he's a smart cookie. Um, so, you know, I again, current military are bound by military code not to disagree publicly with the president, the commander-in-chief, and, you know, good order and discipline requires that. Retired people, yeah, they want to come out for this candidate or they want to come out for that candidate, that's fine, that's part of their rights, and you might even say duties as Americans. But back to our previous comments. uh, Yes. uh, First of all, I'm against more immigration, legal or illegal, for the simple fact that we're, we lack, or claim to lack, the resources to take care of the people that are already here now, legal citizens, native-born, naturalized, uh, so forth and so on. I, I don't see how adding more people to the population that has problems is going to do anything for us. I also think that one big problem with uh, Muslim immigration uh, immigration that uh, differs a little bit from the past, and again, mostly in degree, is that they've come for the economic benefits, but they want to import and retain their culture. And they seem to be much less likely or much less inclined to fully assimilate into American society and American way of living. Now, people will make an argument that previous immigrant groups, the Irish and the Italians and the Polish and so forth, had their little enclaves, and in in the case of the Italians and the Polish and stuff, and the Ukrainians, whatever, continued to speak their native language or the Scandinavians in Minnesota and stuff like that. But again, I think because the Muslim population is tied together by a, by religious doctrine and dogma, that 
uh, it's a greater percentage of them are resistant to the way we allow others to live in in America. You don't want your Muslim daughter to wear a bikini? Fine. Don't get upset at all the other girls from other faiths and ethnic backgrounds and stuff who do, because that's not your place. One thing your comment, your uh, previous uh, commenter was uh, dead right about is air power versus boots on the ground. One of the great fallacies of uh, the air war going all, all the way back to Bomber Harris, commander of the British Air Force in World War II, was the idea that you can actually subdue an enemy purely with air power. Air power is an excellent tool, but you must occupy space. Uh, however, I don't think that boots on the ground are going to prove to be a solution in Syria. They weren't in Iraq. They haven't proven to be in Afghanistan. One thing we've learned in the last 50 years from the Vietnam War forward is that American military power is not very suited and not very capable of fighting against an uh, indigenous indigenous insurgency where you can't tell the good guys from the bad guys till after somebody heaves a grenade or pulls the trigger and so forth and so on. I think that's very, very bad. I, I also think that this idea that we can go in there and hammer these people and wipe out a whole building if there's a terrorist in what we're doing with that very similar to our drone strikes, is we're creating more terrorists because we use a drone to kill two terrorists in a wedding party of 50. We kill 30 other people. If 10% of those people's relatives and friends then become radicalized jihadists, we've now killed two and made three. We're on the losing end of the man. <laughs> that's that's what IQ has been saying for the last couple of years, so you are right on target there. Actually, and another thing, about as far as taking the oil, let's face it, Iraq was about oil. Afghanistan was about going after bin Laden, but we did a piss-poor job of it, and uh, there's uh, one conspiracy theory that says that, that Bush didn't want bin Laden captured for fear of what he'd re- reveal about Bush family ties to the Saudi Arabians or whatever. I don't know if that's true or not, but the facts remain. We let him get out through Tora Bora, and it took a long time to finally hunt him down. Iraq was about oil. What's funny about ISIS is they're selling a million to two million dollars a day. Turkey's fighting ISIS, but they're buying oil from ISIS. Um, I saw hilarious thing on uh, somebody posted it to their Facebook page and I have to be friends so it showed up on mine and it was this very simple explanation of who's fighting who in Syria and it was hilarious it was like watching an old laugh in episode because it detailed how this group is fighting that group who's fighting group C but group C is also fighting group A which is buddies with group D and and it's it's a complete there's a word for it and the first part of the word is cluster 
Um, <laughs> the other thing about the oil yes. money, though, is if you take ISIS's oil money away from what they're actually selling from captured oil fields and stuff, the question remains, will Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Bahrain, the other Gulf states, then step into the breach? You know, part of ISIS is former Iraqi military. Yes. But part of it is also components from Prince Bandar's private army. So I'm not so sure if you cut off their access to the oil in the territories that they're either control or right near, that that's necessarily going to shut off the funding flow. And then the final thing I wanted to say was the comment uh, about getting after people who are going after people who are against the state. I'm always cognizant of a couple of things. One is, ultimately, your loyalty is to your country, but not necessarily its government at any particular point in time. Um, And we can go all the way through the civil rights movement here. There were branches of government that prevented blacks from voting, prevented them from having adequate schools, didn't prosecute KKK guys who lynched blacks from tree limbs. Also, you've got the case in Nazi Germany of the students of the White Rose who pamphleted and agitated against the Nazi regime, and ultimately almost all of them were captured and executed. You know, the the state is what we allow it to become. And one of the biggest controversies in America today is how different is today's government from the government envisioned by our Constitution? How much of the Fourth Amendment do we have left? How much of the Fifth Amendment? How much of the First Amendment do we have left? Um, And so I'm not so sure that you can that widespread repression is a viable uh, is a viable plan. I think it's likely to have uh, I'll generate a lot more blowback. But now that I've been on my soapbox, you're allowed to do that. You're the guest. <laughs> well, I got to come up for yeah, that. Did a good job. Like I said, there's a lot of smart people in America. It's too bad too few of them are actually in government. Um, but, you know, I'm reminded of Lily Tomlin's famous saying, no matter how cynical I get, I just can't keep up. <laughs> well, uh, as we wrap up here, uh, Don, had, had, I know that you were working on another book. Is that out yet? I'm not yet. In the next couple of weeks, we're waiting. Uh, but uh, uh, my other book just got a big boost. Uh, uh, an, uh, an American fam- family uh, sampler. I can't pronounce it even correctly because uh, <laughs> it just got a big boost uh, by being put on the shelves at uh, Barnes & Noble. Um, so I'm really happy about that. It's so difficult to get books uh, put on the shelf. We'll see what happens there. And again, 
a hashtag 2SB Digest for everything else. Dan, how do we get a hold of you, my friend, and uh, check in with everything you're doing? If you go to my uh, personal website, danperkins.guru, you'll see commentary, you'll see information about the books and uh, radio appearances, and, of course, the foundation is Song and Stories for Soldiers.us, and thanks for having us on today, Jim. And IQ, uh, how do we get a hold of you, my friend? I know you're Googleable. Just Google Al Rasuli, A L R A S S O O L I. And uh, Jess, how do we get a hold of the book and uh, keep in touch with you? Well, you can find the book in all four formats hardcover, paperback, ebook, and audiobook on Amazon.com. The book's called Public Enemies. Uh, I have a Facebook page, Jess Money's author page. And we also have uh, a web page for public uh, website for public enemies. So uh, go check that out www.publicenemies.org and um, uh, you know buy the book. <laughs> Please. I, I need to get on Barnes and Noble bookshelves too. I need some sales <laughs> momentum here. I need to, you know I'm. Straggling behind your other guests. <laughs> well, I appreciate everybody, and uh, Dan and Don, we will uh, talk to you on Wednesday, I believe, when we do our when we do our uh, special taping for iHeartRadio and uh, yes. IQ. We will talk to you next week. Thank you, Jazz. Thank you, IQ. Thank you. Bye bye. Definitely. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Appreciate it, and have yourself a wonderful day. We are going to take a break. Twenty four seven. Time out and come back with more. Mm.